Amen. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? How was your week? I'm so delighted to be here in God's presence. I don't know about you. I think Sunday is my best day. It's the first day of the week, but it's also my best day of the week. Can we put our hands together for Jesus? And um, before I go any further, I want to appreciate our pastors in the house this morning. I celebrate everyone. I need you to know that what God is doing here in this church is unique. What God is doing is special, and it's special because of you and I. So please appreciate your neighbor. Thank you for showing up and being a part. But especially, I want to thank the pastors, Pastor Chris and Sandy, for just being there. You know, it's, it's beyond my understanding to imagine that you've been doing this for so many years, the commitment the love. Let's celebrate them one more time. You know, I'll tell you what. I mean, the first time I met both of them, I was literally blown apart. You know, there was a day I was leading, I was leading worship and Pastor Chris, he put his hand together like this. And um, I thought in my culture, when someone does this to you, it means you've had enough. You can stop right now. But he actually wanted me to end the service with a prayer. And what am I trying to say? We may not speak the same language all the time, but there's a language that is universal, and that language is love. And so after service, we talked about it and we laughed about it. And that's how special they are. That's how much they love each and every one of us. That's how much they love God. I want us to celebrate them and make them blush a little bit. Just a little bit. And I want you to know that Dami, myself, and the kids, we love you so much. Thank you for making Family Church Waterlooville a home for myself, my family, and many other people. I know I've got 30 plus minutes, and I will always take out time. This is the best part of the message telling you how I feel. Amen. Is there someone here that is hungry for the word of God? Let me just see you wave your hand a little bit. We are in the month of December. December is the month of celebration. We're celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And without taking too much of our time, I want us to get quickly into the message. I have titled this message, Birth in a Manger. I'd like you to help me look at someone beside you and say, Birth in a Manger. Now, just picture yourself. You're just in the cinema. You're about to watch a movie, and the title is Birth in a Manger. So look at your neighbor like you're about to take them out on a date and say, I'm going to take you to see a movie. It's called Birth in a Manger. I want you to add some theatricals to your speech and say, Birth in a Manger. Let us get into the Word of God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Hmm. What a moving story. Let me start by saying the birth of Jesus in a manger in the Bible is depicted three times. 
in the book of Luke. When I was preparing for this message, I began to ponder, why would this detail be repeated? It's repeated in verses 7, 12, and 16. Now, we understand from history and records that Luke, by training, was a physician. In our um, language of today, would say he was a doctor. And when you're in the health sector, you're a nurse or doctor, you're trained to look out for details. You know, one of the things that I appreciate and don't always appreciate about my wife is that she's a doctor. So you have a little cough and she's going to ask you so many questions. When did it start? How do you feel? And all of that. How many of us love our doctors? You know, they keep prying into every detail. They are the best when it comes to prescribing drugs. But they are not always the best when it comes to taking their medicine. Amen? (laughs) A little secret is being let out today. And so we know that Luke was a man of details. And so why would Luke make the same mistake if he was going to mention this detail three times in his account in Scripture? I would say such must have been the significance of this detail that we have it repeated three times in Scripture, perhaps for emphasis. While we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in the month of December, it's going to be lots of partying, lots of cakes, lots of ice cream. We must also take out time to examine retrospectively and observe the meanings behind the manner of his coming. I know that Christmas is special because it is the, intro, the birth of Jesus Christ. It is the introduction of God's kingdom. It is the beginning of the redemption of mankind. But before we get caught up in all the festivities and all the celebrations, we need to examine why would he come this way. Birth in the manger denotes a birth in a place and a situation much beneath human dignity and worth. It is confusing that God will choose this approach to introduce Jesus, the second person in the Godhead. It blows my mind. He is the Savior of the world. He is supposed to be clothed in majesty and splendor. In human terms, I would say if I was there when it happened, it would have been the most traumatic experience on a cold wintry night for a young virgin girl named Mary. She was already mired in a lot of controversy. Mary was already with child, and she, did, she could not even say who the father was. You know, sometimes the Bible, when you, you know, faith and reason don't always agree at the same time. I imagine Jonah as a married, married man, and he has to tell his wife, where have you been for the past three days? Oh, I, I was on this mission, then I got caught up in the belly of a whale. And that's how, you know, out of mind it sounds. Here is Mary, mired with a pregnancy, had known no man. And at the time of delivery, after a stressful journey, she comes to find out that there is no place for her. In modern societies, we know that preference of care and comfort is given to women and children, especially expectant or nursing mothers. But in the case of Mary and Jesus, there were no provisions for them. There was no space for them. Look at someone saying, no space. 
They were not a priority by any regards. Even the layman we understand in the New Testament, he had four friends. How many of you know the story of the layman? He needed a miracle and he didn't have the strength, but he got friends. That's how important relationships are. They had the faith and the commitment. They climbed up to the building, broke the roof, and lowered him down. But at that point, at that beginning, Jesus had no one. He had no friends. He had no one to say, you can have my room for this night. It's an emergency. And I, want, I continue to ask why Jesus had no one, why he had nothing. Let me take a pause at this point and just challenge someone to never look down on people who had no choice in unfortunate circumstances. Sometimes you see people lying on the road, sleeping on the road without food, without clothes, without what they need to be human. And we tend to look down on them. You must have done something. But studying and preparing for this message makes me to understand that Life is full of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And sometimes people end up with the ugly side of things because the good and the bad has been taken. Sometimes we get into difficult situations, not because it was our choice, because that was what came our way. And this was Jesus in this situation. But I go on to ask, why would God choose the most undignified situation without provisional access to introduce his most beloved son. The one he said to when he was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I, was well, I am well pleased. Was he displeased with him at the very beginning? What could Jesus have done at that point to deserve such a treatment? Why would he introduce the prince of peace? the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to earth in this manner. Help me ask your neighbor, why? You know, I've been thinking about it for quite a while. Why, why, why? And then my daughter comes home from school. She's learning this song, so we have to sing it together. And God began to speak to me through that song. So I'm just going to sing one verse of that song. It goes like this. Why choose... A stable to welcome a king. Why choose a bright star to shine down on him? Is it too marvelous to understand? It was part of the heavenly plan. It was part of the heavenly plan. I listened to that song and God began to speak to me. And he said to me, it was part of the heavenly plan. Now I'm going to tell you something that I learned from that heavenly plan. But before we go on, I just want us to pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace to come into your presence. As we gather to feast in your word, we ask that you minister to us by the Spirit. Give us the spirit of insight and revelation. And at the end of the day, let everyone under the sound of my voice go home blessed and inspired. 
to enter into your purpose and your plan for our lives. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. As we go on today, I want to say that there are three lessons that I observe from this interesting piece of scripture. Namely, humility. Can somebody say humility? Simplicity and divinity. So number one, humility. I'm still asking questions, and probably when I get home, I will continue to ask questions. I will continue to sing with Debbie until one day they call us in the school and say, come sing your song. But I'm going to be asking these questions, but the few things, one of the few things that I can get from it is humility. God stooped so low to reach us. And when I begin to understand what God did, when I begin to see humility in action, I begin to see the destructive impact of pride in our lives. Humility was the vessel that God employed to bring himself to man. He stooped down from his high place in heaven and came in the likeness of sinful flesh, born to a virgin Mary to the lowest of births just to reach us. And I say here that pride denies access. It creates barriers. Naaman, the Syrian captain, if you are a Bible scholar, you might have heard about that scripture. He needed healing. He needed a breakthrough. He almost lost his healing because of pride. He was told by the prophet, you're going to birth in this dirty river. And then he was like, no, no, no. I mean, I'm going to get my healing. But why in this way? Sometimes God puts a blessing behind a humble approach. And that's what pride does. I want to challenge someone to be willing to go out of your way, to empty yourself and to deny yourself in order to reach others. God had to stoop low in order to reach us. Sometimes you have to bring yourself low to get things done. When it came to the redemption of mankind, after he tried the law, he didn't work. After he sent the prophets and it didn't work, he then decided to send Jesus. Sometimes we have to roll up our sleeves just to get the job done. One of the things that always inspires me about Pastor Chris is his level of humility. He doesn't say, I'm the pastor, I'm calling the shots. He rolls up his sleeve to get things done. And I want to challenge everybody. There are things around us that need to be built and rebuilt. There are things that wouldn't happen if we are still comfortable in our position. Sometimes we'll have to stoop low, reach low, to reach out to people, to get things done. Why would Jesus go through all of this? Because he's trying to reach someone much beneath where he is. Amen. And I want to challenge someone that if Jesus as a baby could rise up from that manger as a little kid and ascend, as we know in scripture, as the savior of mankind with a name that is above every other name, there is no limit to what God cannot do with you and I. Sometimes when you talk about marketing or branding, you look at how, how is the brand. I mean, how are they doing in the marketplace? Jesus was, his coming was not good advertising. But listen, 
No matter how, how low you started, there is a God in heaven that can exalt. I'll tell you what he did in Philippians 2, and I'll read this quickly. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 11, it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and it became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also had highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our example. He paid the ultimate price. He went as low as you could imagine. And guess what? When he got the, got the job done, God exalted him. There's something about humility. Humility comes into our lives not to break us, not to bring us low, but to elevate us. Perhaps there are things going on in your life that bring you low, bring you low in your emotions, bring down your esteem, bring down your confidence. Listen, child of God, as you go through that process, as you humble yourself before the Lord your God, there's a lifting that comes when you pass your due season. I say here that never judge people by where they come from, what they wear, or what they're going through. Can I encourage someone that the greatness of your purpose supersedes the controversy of your beginning? Jesus had controversy from the first day. He didn't fit the bill. Born without no controversy about who his father was. He didn't even have, what as a baby, he had little or no comfort. They couldn't even get him space. Can I encourage someone, probably you're trying to move forward, and they keep telling you everywhere, there's no room. But that doesn't judge your end. Because God is going to take you through all of that and lift up your hand like that of a unicorn. Somebody else in the scripture by the name of Jabez, he was born in the midst of pain and sorrow. His beginning was not good. It was so terrible that his mother gave him a name called Jabez. Everywhere he went, his brand, his logo was sorrows, was pain. But one day he prayed to God. He said, enlarge my coast. Listen, there's nothing God cannot do about your situation. One of the things I learned from this example, never to judge the outcome of a thing or a person from their beginning. Can I prophesy to someone, though your beginning may be small, but your latter end will greatly increase. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, your joy is coming in the morning season. You may have gone through a lot of storms. You may have gone through a lot of temptations, but God is bringing you out and is bringing you out safe and sound in Jesus' mighty name. All through the life of Jesus, he faced wailings, he faced railing accusations, he faced the naysayers, the backbiters, the haters, but he accomplished his mission. He stayed focused. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm sorry, the scriptures, they just keep coming to me. 
who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the pain and the shame of the cross. He was focused on the goal and he got there. Can I say to someone, humble yourself before the Lord your God and he will exalt you in due season. You're going through something which is humbling you. He will exalt you. Don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your confession. Don't lose your personality. Don't lose your commitment. Don't lose your character. Because there's a recompense of a great reward. There's something that God is going to do with your life when you come out of that humbling situation. Number two, I'm going to move quickly. Simplicity. God is at his best when it comes to disguising things and situations. Many times our humanity misses out on his divinity because we expect God to act and think like a man. His ways are much higher than ours. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, But God had chosen the foolish things of this world to confront the wise. Can you look at someone and say, but God? Yeah, it's like this, other, it's like this and that for every other person. But look at someone else and say, but God. Because when God steps in, there is a breaking of protocol. That's why that scripture says, but God. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world which, and the things which are despised hath God chosen. And yea, the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. You know why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Listen, God will not be God if he was always so predictable. He would not be sovereign if he needed my suggestion, if he needed my permission. He chooses to do it his own way. That's why you never graduate out of school when you walk with God. I've seen people go to school at the end of four years. They tell you you've got a BSc, you've got a BA. You go for another one or two years, you've got a master's. But with God, you never graduate. Man can give you a certificate, but listen, God takes you on a journey. Because every day we're learning something new today. Jesus was going to heal somebody. He spat on the mud, mixed it, and put it on his face. You do that in this country, and you're going to spend some good time behind correction. <laughs> you go tell them you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll give you a Bible in prison <laughs> where you can praise God all day long. So he, do, he, he, he does his own thing in a different way. He chooses David, a shepherd boy, to confront Goliath. It doesn't make sense. I mean, he says he's going to defeat Goliath, but I'm just going to embarrass him out of the place. And God says to me to say to someone, God is going to embarrass every embarrassment going on in your life. Those that are trying to put you to shame, God is going to shame them out of their devices in the mighty name of Jesus. He, choose, he, he hides Moses in the house of Pharaoh to be raised in the house of the person who sought to murder him. I mean, that's God. He makes a stammerer, the same Moses, to become his spokesperson to a nation. So you look at yourself and you say, I'm not able. He chose Moses when he knew that Moses was a stammerer. 
Because when God makes his decision, we are not on the table. We have no voice, we have no vote, we have no say. That's why he is God. And I say here, the genius and the mystery of God is easily missed, is mistaken and misused because of his simple approach. God always wins when playing hide and seek. You know, sometimes I love to watch the kids play hide and seek. They go, I mean, you see someone go under the bed, you know. You see someone behind the curtain. But God, God plays really bad. God plays nasty when he plays hide and seek. Because God is an expert at hiding greatness in plain sight. If he could hide Moses in the house of Pharaoh and get the same Pharaoh to raise up his enemy with his own resources, if he could sneak Jesus, Mary, and Joseph under the, under the arms, out of the arms of Herod and bring them back when that period of persecution was over, if he could preserve David when he was in the cave and persecuted and bring him just at the right time to be anointed and appointed as king, God can bring you out of any darkness. He can bring you out of any danger. Perhaps you, you, you're grasping for the limelight, and it seems like God is not responding. Maybe he's hiding you. Maybe he's keeping you. Have you heard of people say some things like overnight success? Where have you been all this while? Listen, you've been on the scene, but God has been hiding you and keeping you for that perfect time of manifestation. Somebody, God is lifting you up in the name of Jesus. The Jews missed out on Jesus because they expected a king with a ring on his finger, a spear, and a sword. Riding on a white shiny horse. But he came as the son of a carpenter. And not only did he come as the carpenter's son. He was preaching blasphemy. By calling himself the son of God. I mean that's God. It's his job to blow your mind every time. That's why when we approach God. Reason has to take, uh, I mean, has to take a place at the backside. He, he also raised up David, a man after God's heart, as a shepherd boy. He came as a shepherd boy. He was going to give them a, a king, but he presented him as a shepherd. Even the prophets, with all the anointing, he missed out on God. He saw Saul and said, oh, this must be the anointing. And he had to go so many times to a point that God, had, he literally had to ask his father, J.C., do you have any other sons? That's how God is. There's some greatness in your life that you're probably not aware of because God excels at hiding greatness in plain sight. He just does it in a simple way. Peter, James, and John, they came as fishermen and they became fishers of men. Esther came as an orphan and she became a queen. I want to ask you, how did you come into this situation? It doesn't matter how low you came. What is most important is what you become. God is not interested in what, how or when or what you come. What he's interested is what you become. What will you make of your situation? Someone says if life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. If life gives you the rough edges... 
You make something good out of it. The Bible says he's able to make all things work together for our good according to his purpose. There's something God can do in your situation. Don't miss out on God because it doesn't look like it. You look at the weather, the weather is really terrible, it's raining, and you say nothing good can come out of this day. But that might just be the day that the Lord has made. You look at your life, you look so ordinary, and you say, I'm just a nobody. Mary just woke up on an ordinary morning, and she saw an angel. If she went to a doctor, a psychiatrist, they'd have put her on medication. And the events that followed in her life made her to become a woman that was favored of all women. And that's what we learn from the birth of Jesus Christ. The simple approach of God to bring the miraculous into our lives. There are miracles happening in our lives every day, in every season. There's greatness walking in and out of our lives. But because of the simplicity, we miss out on God. The Bible says some have entertained um, angels as strangers in disguise. Perhaps we need to go back to our lives and our homes and look out for those simple things. Maybe we'll begin to see a little bit of God at work. Amen. Open my eyes, Lord Jesus. Make me to see your plan. Number three, as I begin to get to a close, divinity. Divinity. Even when Jesus was stripped of material worth and dignity, such was the impact of his coming that the heavens quaked the angels sang, and the realms rejoiced at his birth. Even in his lowest state, even when it was natural in the human sense, his coming was inconsequential. It was such a momentous occasion that so many things began to happen. The stars began to shine in a different matter, in a different manner. Last week, Pastor Sandy taught us that joy is an innate condition that stems from having Christ at work in our hearts and in our lives. In other words, joy is not something based on an event, but it comes from within, when we have an experience of God. But I also realize that the spiritual realities often exist in parallel to physical dimensions, even though they carry different meanings. So one day you could have lost something so precious to you, and then there's still the joy of God in your, the joy of your salvation in your heart. I mean, there was this day, I mean, many years ago, my favorite team, I'm a Chelsea supporter. I've been following these guys for some while. And the night we finally won the, ch- I'm sorry, ladies, maybe you don't like football. You be with me. The night we finally won the Champions League, I mean, I went to the club and watched. I was so excited. I hugged people I didn't know. It was like the best night of my life. And then I stepped out of the club and I started looking for my car where I parked it. I checked under the drainage, you know, I was already losing my mind. I didn't see it. So on one night, I had one of my greatest victories. On that same night, I lost something so precious. So I was happy and sad at the same time. And that's how it is when we have the joy of the Lord. It's not based on that circumstance. And this is Jesus. He is coming out with nothing. No room for him in the inn. No place for him in the palace. 
No manger except we have the animal. I mean, no bed, no cot except we have the animals feed. But such was the glory of God upon him. He says that I say here that despite the fact that he was born in a manger, wise men and kings came to the brightness of his rising. They offered gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to say to someone that your value is not tied to your current situation. It is tied to your purpose and your destiny. They saw his star and it shone brightly. Can I say to someone that no darkness is dark enough to dim the light of God's purpose upon you? Sometimes the enemy is aware of the promise of God over your life. And just before you step into the scene, he creates some confusion. He creates some mess around you. But God is going to turn that mess around you to become a message. Sometimes he twists and turns and takes you through confusing times. But the Bible says the Spirit of God is able to go ahead of us and make all crooked paths straight. Jesus in this situation was so anointed that his star was bright enough to lead the shepherds to where he was. You may be going through a lot of difficulty. You may be going through things that make you ask and challenge yourself. You may be going through something that's making you ask, did I miss out on God? You could be so anointed and yet persecuted at the same time. You could be so anointed and you've got so many issues going on in your life. You could be so anointed and yet yet you don't get the best of treatment. But listen, what God is teaching me in this story is that nothing that we face on the outside is able to take away that greatness on the inside. Thank God for that star. That star was shining beyond the darkness of what he faced, beyond the mood, beyond the depression that Mary was going through. That star kept shining and brought people out of their location. The kings gathered in the palace. Jesus didn't have a place, but when his star began to shine, people began to come out of their lives to seek. The wise one among them, they began to seek for that special anointed holy child. Listen, what God has given you and I is beyond the physical. It's beyond what we go through. There's something in your life. That's why he says that greater is he that is on my inside and he that is out there in the world. And as I close, I want to talk about what Peter said in Acts chapter 3 verse 6. Then Peter said to a layman, he said, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter acknowledged that I don't have everything. When it comes to silver and gold, I'm an entity. When it comes to the finances, I'm not in shape. But I know who I am. I know what I have. I've got the anointing of God. I've got the grace of God. Jesus was abased in the beginning, but he had something. And I want to say to us as believers, as children of God, you must know what you have. You have God's glory. You've got God's favor. You've got the best gift that God could give. His love. He gave his only begotten son. Look at someone and say, Jesus came for you and I. The reason why he had to be brought so low was so that we could be exalted. 
The Bible says that sin is a reproach, but there is a righteousness that exalts. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we can become the righteousness of God. And so as I close today, I want to ask this question. How does a birth in a manger far away in a cold, smelly barn, witnessed by donkeys, sheep, and farm animals, become so consequential to the faith of the world? So important to our personal lives, to the past, the present, and the future. How does a beginning so empty, uncelebrated, and underrated become so significant, full of adventures and glorious victories over tribulation and death? And this is my final submission it was all part of the heavenly plan. God had a plan, and that's the way he chose to go about it. Perhaps he sent Jesus that way to teach you and I that he's willing to pay the ultimate price that we can be lifted. I want us to pray this morning. Whatever we're going through, whatever we feel is absent in our lives, God is able to use those same things, that same situation, and turn it around for good. Sometimes we pray that God take away this stress, take away this pain. Like Paul the Apostles, he prayed so many times that this thorn, this problem be taken away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I want us to just have a little of a different approach today. Learning from the life of Jesus, we know that at the end of the day, everything became good. Everything became perfect. His abasement did not affect his outcome. And I'm praying for someone today that whatever you're going through will give up to that which is good, which is acceptable, and the perfect will of God. I'm praying for someone today that he will give you the grace through the midst of whatever storm you're going through. I'm praying for someone that God will give you revelation and inspiration. That you begin to see his purpose and his workings in your life. I'm praying for someone this morning that you will not go out of the plan of God. But you will fulfill purpose. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons we learned today, simplicity, humility, and divinity. We ask that these same things will begin to work in our lives and take us to a higher ground in the mighty name of Jesus. For everyone going through a difficult season, we pray for grace. For everyone asking questions that have not been answered, I pray that you reveal more of your purpose. As we go through the month of December, help us to understand the true meaning of the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. May our homes be built on the foundation of your word. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. God bless you.